In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in this stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Do not hide thy face from me in the day of my distress. Incline thine ear to me and answer me and speedily in the day when I call. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout the generations. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us, Christ. Have mercy upon us, Lord, have mercy upon us. The royal banners forward go. The cross shows forth redemption's flow. Where he by whom the tree was led, now for our salvation has been bled. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, graciously behold this your family and for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men to suffer death upon the cross. Yet, yes, the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament lesson for Good Friday is written in the 52nd chapter of the prophet Isaiah, beginning at the 13th verse. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred behind, beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. 
For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what they have heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like the root out of a dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look upon him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one in his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and by, and as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, nor was there deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes trans intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who has believed what they have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The epistle lesson is written in the fifth chapter of St. Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, beginning at the 14th verse. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that as one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, although through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was accounted, was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew nor sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ.
Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asp. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me. With cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my God, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Holy Gospel according to St. John, beginning in the first verse of the 18th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus went forth with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to befall him, came and said unto them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And again he asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these other men go. This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken Of those whom thou gavest me, I lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given unto me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews seized Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And it was Caiaphas who had given the counsel to the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and did so did another disciple. As this disciple was known to the high priest, he entered into the court of the high priest along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the maid who kept the door and brought Peter in. And the maid who kept the door said to Peter, Are not you also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who made the charcoal fire because it was cold and they were warming themselves and standing by it and Peter also was with them standing and warming himself and the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching and Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing secretly. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. They know what I have said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you will answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, bear witness to the wrong. If I have spoken rightly, then why do you strike me? 
Annas, then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself, and they said unto him, Are not you also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a kinsman of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the cock crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early. They themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. And so Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have handed him over. Pilate said to them, Take him to yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. This was spoken, the word which Jesus had spoken to show by what death he was to die. Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Do you say this for your own accord, or did someone else ask it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, that I might not be handed over by the, to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no crime in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man to you at Passover. Will you have me release for you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas! Now Barabbas was a murderer. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arranged and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said unto them, See, I am bringing him out, that you might know that I find no crime in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Behold the man! When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no crime in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard these words, he was more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said unto Jesus, Who, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate therefore said unto him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore he who has delivered me to you has the greater sin. Upon this Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. For everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the place of the judgment seat called the pavement in Hebrew, Gabatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to be crucified.
I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, whom for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Darkest woe, he tis forth flow. Has so sad a wonder? God the Father's only Son now is buried yonder. Oh, sovereign dread God's Son is dead, but by his expiation of our guilt upon the cross gain for our salvation. O oh, sinful man, it was the ban of death on thee that brought him down to suffer for thy sins, and such woe hath wrought him. Lo, stained with blood, the Lamb of God, the Bridegroom lies before thee, pouring out his life that he may to life restore thee. O ground of faith laid low in death, sweet lips now silent sleeping, surely all that live must mourn here with bitter weeping. Oh, blessed shall be eternally, who oft in fate will ponder why the glorious Prince of Life should be buried yonder. Oh, Jesus, blessed my help and rest, which is I now entreat thee. Make me love thee to the last, till in heaven I greet thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why did Jesus' opponents, why did they ask, 
that his legs be broken. Despite reports to the contrary, archaeologists have actually uncovered a name of a man named Yohanan ben Hagal, who also died at the same time, around the same period as our Lord in the first century. And despite evidence to the contrary, or, or contentions to the contrary, the evidence does not support the contention that the victim was administered ever a coup de gras to break their lower bones. According to the Roman Cicero, the Roman use of crucifragium, the breaking of the legs of the crucified, was very rarely done, in fact. It was something only reserved for the punishment of the most brutal lowlife, like a pirate. So why did Jesus' enemies, the chief priests, want his legs broken? Why did they do that? It's a great question, isn't it? Why did they want his legs broken? I think two things. They wanted to make sure he was dead. And I will prove to you that he was. But they also wanted to make sure that no one would able, able later to claim that Jesus was the Messiah. Because you see, there are several references in the Old Testament, beginning with Exodus 12, verse, verse 10, referring to the Paschal Lamb of the Passover. And, and, and those passages say very clearly that you shall not break one of his bones. In Numbers 9, verse 12, describes how, again, with the Passover, that they shall leave none of it till morning, nor shall they break any one of his bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. And Jesus Christ is the final Passover. He is the Passover Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so the Messiah's bones must not be broken. Psalm 34, 19 or 21 in the Masoretic text also clearly states that many are the afflictions of the righteous one, that is the Messiah, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. None of them shall be broken. And you'd better believe it, that the chief priest, the scribes, and the Pharisees, Jesus' united opponents, all knew this. They all knew that if Jesus was going to maintain his claim on Messiahship after his death, if his followers were going to be able to put forth the claim that Jesus really is the Hebrew Messiah, then, then Jesus' bones must not be broken. And that's, I think, why they asked for his bones to be broken. Now, that's not the reason what, what they came to Pilate with, of course, right? There's always the reason, and then there's the reason beneath the reason. And the reason, the reason they used, the cover reason, was actually a very pious one. Because, you see, they, they were showing concern for the Sabbath and the, and the sanctity of Passover. They were hiding their malice beneath good, pious concerns, they were coming to Pilate like so many inter, in, innocent saints, right? I mean, they were coming to Pilate with an urgency based more upon Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, which commands that if a man has committed a sin deserving death and he has, been, he has put to death by hanging upon a, upon a tree, that his body must be taken down that day and buried, lest the land be defiled, And of course, bodies must not remain on, uh, uh, out in capital punishment on the Sabbath, and especially the Passover. That would be terrible. And so they come to Jesus. They come, the, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew opponents of Jesus come requesting that his legs be broken and he quickly be buried and they do so with all the pious appearance of good people. And how often have we cloaked our own sins under a similar 
piety. Camouflaging our evil intent beneath religious respectability. Perhaps too frequently. And then there's the poor cooperation of the Romans. Sort of the passive resistance of both Pilate and the Roman soldiers to the, the, the request of Jesus' opponents, right? I mean, they asked it for several things. And the Romans in this, in this narrative, they just seem to kind of drag their feet. They just, they just don't really believe it. It seems to me, at least. I mean, the more, I mean I've studied this for decades, and I just think that, that I really don't think that the, the Romans are buying the arguments of, of Jesus' opponents. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, I don't think he bought, they're, they're buying into it. I mean, it really does seem like this, doesn't it? There's almost a Roman passive resistance. For we read how the soldiers came and to break the legs of the first... And the other was crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus, they looked up and they saw that he was, that he was already dead. And they did not break his legs. And I wonder why. I mean, Pilate and the Romans are, are trying to rule over Judea, which is a very, very politically and socially volatile environment, uh, very divided prone to violence? And, and what political advantage is there to just not breaking his legs, to, just, to, to, to ignoring what these people want? I mean, why not just do it? The guy's already dead. What, I mean, what, what is lost by the Roman soldiers just not giving the coup de grace? I mean, Jesus is already a corpse. They already know this. Perhaps... There are many reasons. Perhaps there's personal reasons of the soldiers. I mean, we do know for a historical fact that Roman soldiers had a very high regard for the dead. In fact, to the Roman, it wasn't really so much how you lived, but what really mattered was how you died. And Romans had a very high concern about what happened to their bodies after they died. You know, they had like death societies that would make sure that their, their bodies were buried and that wine and, 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 and oil were poured to, to, upon their remains from time to time by their loved ones and that their graves were visited. I mean, they, they literally were the ones that invented life insurance. It was, it was a, a very real thing for them. And so the Romans believed that, 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 a bo- that the body of a loved one should be given to those who, who, who cared about that person when, after they're dead. But the Roman soldiers were not under any kind of concern about it, him being dead. Though. I mean, they knew he was dead. I mean, any, any, I mean, the Roman soldiers were merchants of death. I mean, that was their job. That was their vocation, was killing people and executing them. And we do know from Matthew 27 that the centurion, the, the, the boss of this execution and funerary detail that, that supervised the crucifixion of Jesus, this is, that this centurion became convinced by going through this experience that surely this is the Son of God. And so maybe the reason why they used a spear instead of breaking Jesus' legs is that they wanted to keep his body intact. They didn't want to disrespect his remains, which is, which is what a Roman would do. They wouldn't want to respect the, the, the dead that are vanquished, especially those whom they respect. And evidently the soldiers respected Jesus much more highly than did his opponents. And so they thrust, they thrust in a sword instead of breaking his legs. And then we read something very interesting from John, only John. Only John tells us that immediately blood and water came out. Now this is a very interesting thing. This is a detail that only an eyewitness would know. And by telling us this, John is the one who is confirming that he was the only eyewitness among the disciples. All these events happened the way John tells them because John, unlike the others, was there. He saw 
the dead white corpse of Christ hanging limply from the cross. He knew, like the centurion and the other Roman legionnaires, that Jesus was dead, that he had died to pay, to pay for our sins. He was there when Christ cried out, Tetelestai, Eli Eli Labachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it is finished. He was there. He was there when Christ lifted up his head and said, Father, forgive them. They know what, not what they do. And he saw the blood in the water. Now, why does he tell us about the blood in the water? What is the significance of the blood in the water? And I think the significance is, is, is not just, you know, the typology of baptism and the Lord's Supper, but I think it's, it's, it's more than that. It is, John is supplying a realistic post-mortem analysis from the viewpoint of the ancient world. Because, you see, ancient doctors believed, from Heraclitus to Galen, that, the, that, that, that a human being possessed proper proportions of blood and water, what we would call, what we would call um, plasma today, and that these things guaranteed health. In Second Maccabees or Fourth Maccabees, uh, nine twenty also described the martyr's death in, there in, in the Apocrypha. How how one of the martyrs that was martyred, he, his body was quenched the burning coals to. Uh, 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 beneath the wheel of which he was tied as he was being burned to death. And Midrash Leviticus Rabbah 15.2 and Leviticus 13.2 and following says, the human being is evenly balanced half water and half blood. So John making sure that we understand the detail of the water and the blood coming out of the side of Jesus is John's way of saying that Jesus hadn't merely swooned on the cross or just had lost consciousness but was still alive. But no, he was, he was dead. The fluids had separated that which keeps him alive came out. It just drained out. His heart had stopped long ago. And maybe John is also writing not only against the Hebrew opponents of Jesus who claimed he didn't actually die, but, but he's also writing against later Christian Gnostics, Christians who, who claimed to be Christians but really were Gnostics. They were people who believed in hidden knowledge that didn't really believe in the incarnation. They believed that, that God kind of was a, is a spirit and he just sort of Jesus just appears to be man but isn't really man and doesn't really die. But this is a problem because if Jesus really doesn't die, then we are still in our sins because without Jesus really dying, there can't be a real resurrection. And if there's not a real resurrection, then there is no real forgiveness. Now, Jesus has to be truly man and truly God, and he has to die a true death to pay for our true sins. We are above all men most miserable and still in our sins, and those who died are not resurrected because then Christ was not resurrected. As St. Paul points out, in his epistles. No. No, Jesus, according to John, the eyewitness, he really died on Good Friday, and he was really dead. And then there's the matter of Jesus' burial. I, I, you know, I've never really dealt much on this in, in all, since I've been ordained, but I really do think this is, I found this very intriguing because on Palm Sunday, Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem, right? As the king of the Jews. You know, this Hosanna, the son of David on Palm Sunday. He, he's welcomed into, into Jerusalem as Jerusalem's king. And then when Pilate on Good Friday declares him to be the king of the Jews, and they, de they never deny it. They just say, we have no king but Caesar. He's not our king. We don't want him as our king. But, he, and, you know, he, he's rejected by them. It's amazing, isn't it? And again, there's that passive resistance of Pilate. So, it's so amazing, right? I mean, just like with the soldiers, he didn't break his legs. He didn't do what, they, what, the, the, what, what, the, what the opponents of Jesus wanted. Now Pilate ignores Jesus' enemies when they ask for Jesus' body. You know, they ask for Jesus' body much earlier than Joseph of Arimathea. And, and Pilate just doesn't, just like he doesn't hear them. 
and he instead gives the body to Joseph of Arimathea. It's just so interesting. I really, I find this very fascinating. And why does Pilate disregard them? It's just, it's almost like the same thing earlier in the day. You know, you know, Pilate wrote this title. He put a title over the cross, and he said, this, the title said in, you know, it, it, it said in three different languages, in Greek, you know, Aramaic, and, and, and Latin, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, right? And, and the, 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 you know, the, the scribes and chief priests and Pharisees came to Pilate and said, no, 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 please change that from not he is the king of the Jews to he says he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate just doesn't do it. He's just it's like, I'm not going to change it. I've written what I've written. And here he just ignores them again. Why? Why does he re- ignore them again? Why would Pilate again do something that would not endear him to people that he's got to deal with after they bury Jesus. I mean, Pilate has nothing to gain from, from alienating these people who have just successfully manipulated him into murdering Jesus. So why does he ignore them? Why does he disrespect them in a way, in a real way? Again, because I think Romans have a high respect for the dead, right? High respect for the dead. According to you, Ulpian and Julius Paulus, they say that the bodies of those who suffer capital punishment are not to be refused to their relatives or those who seek them for burial. And Ulpian traces his back to Augustus, book 10 of the Vita Sua. But he does recognize that burial may be denied for reasons of high treason, like of, of maestas, high treason against Caesar. That's interesting, right? Because in the trial, Jesus' opponent said, this man sets himself up as a king, and any man who says he's a king is, not, is an enemy of Caesar, right? So by refusing the body to Jesus' opponents and giving the body to Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple, this must be evidence that Pilate doesn't see Jesus as a traitor or as a rebel or as someone deserving death. And Pilate at this point doesn't care. Who knows it? He's just beyond caring about it. He's not going to do Jesus any more injustices. He's going to at least honor his death as a true Roman would, because a Roman leader like, a, like Pontius Pilate would have also been a soldier and understands the value of bravery and courage and is gonna, not going to dishonor that. And so he does not release Jesus' body to his enemies, but releases Jesus' body to his disciple. And additionally, why does Pilate refuse to give his body to Jesus' Jewish enemies? I think it's because he probably understood again that Jesus wouldn't get a proper burial. Because in 1 Enoch 98, 13, excludes from proper burial, from proper graves, the wicked. And clearly Jesus was regarded as wicked. Josephus in his Antiquities 5, 1, and 14 says, tells how Akar at nightfall was given an ignominious burial proper to the condemned. And of course, we know that Judas Iscariot, who killed himself, was buried, a common burial, in a field of blood, not on in, in holy ground. And then, then finally, fourthly, Sanhedrin 9, verse 8 says, even if the criminal were king of kings, he may not be buried in the grave of his fathers, but only in that prepared for by the court. And I'm sure, I'm sure Pilate understood this. So he tells him no. He just doesn't do it. And by not doing this, by refusing to give Jesus' body to Jesus' opponents, Pilate is honoring Jesus. And he's allowing for Jesus' burial to be honorable. 
because that's what Joseph of Arimathea does. Joseph of Arimathea, who is a wealthy man, takes Jesus' remains and puts him in a wealthy man's tomb. No small thing in the ancient world. In the ancient world, burying the dead properly and honorably in a great place, in a great tomb, was considered significant, much more significant than we view death today. We, we really don't view funerals as that, really that important in our world today, not like the ancients did, who built pyramids for their kings. No, this is, this is huge. And Pilate knows this. And the reason he, pro- he probably provides a guard <laughs> was not so much to placate the, the Jews, the enemies of Jesus, but rather was, mere, was probably more likely to, to honor, to give Jesus' remains an honor guard and to protect the remains from being, from, from being brutalized or from being violated. For whether Pilate believed that Jesus actually was God's son, Pilate seems unconvinced that Jesus was the criminal the chief priest claimed. Thus, when Pilate gave Joseph of Arimathea permission, so, so Pilate gave Joseph of Arimathea permission to come and take the body of Jesus. Then the final thing that I find very interesting about today's Good Friday gospel lesson in John 19.39 is Nicodemus. Nicodemus appears. Think about this. Who who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is the one in early part of John, John chapter 3, who comes to Jesus at night, right, and and, and asks about being born again. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And and Nicodemus is like, how can I be born again when I'm old? And Jesus says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told this to Nicodemus. And now Nicodemus comes because he also is a disciple of Jesus, a secret disciple, and he brings with him a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and and, and spices. It says about 100 pounds. Well, this is actually, um, it's it's 100 Roman liters, or litra. And a Roman liter or the Roman pound was actually about about 12 ounces in, in today's English weight. So the amount would be about 75 pounds. Now think about that, 75 pounds of myrrh, aloe, and other spices. You know, when Jesus' feet was anointed by the woman who anointed his feet with, with, with aloe and, and, and the ointment and then washed and then dried his, you know, washed his feet with her tears, anointed it with ointment, and then dried it with her hair. That little bit of ointment, that little bit of, that she had was like a, like a year's salary. The amount of, uh, the amount of money that these, these, these spices would have cost, it, it's just astronomical. I, I don't even, I, I can't even price it for you. It's a lot of money. Way more than the woman who anointed Jesus' feet paid for what little she used. And 75 pounds is enough literally of spices to to smother Jesus' body in a mound inside the typical tomb. In other words, this is an extraordinary amount of spices, myrrh and aloes. Extraordinary. It's the amount that would only be used for the burial of a king. A king! Jesus is buried in the tomb, a tomb that would befit a king, or at least somebody that's very wealthy. And now, the way he is prepared for his burial by Nicodemus, he is being prepared in the manner befitting a king. He's being given a royal funeral. And both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are confessing with actions that speak louder than their words that Jesus truly is the King of the Jews. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that he has truly died so that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins might live. And we see in their actions the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 9 from today's Old Testament lesson that reads, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth.
Yes, there is no doubt that this reality of Jesus' death proves that he is the Messiah and that because he lives, we now shall live also. The actions of Pilate, the Roman soldiers, Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus confirm it. Confirm it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and for the godly unity of Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for those who in faith, piety, and the fear of God offer here their worship and praise. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our nation and all our people, for Donald, our president, the Congress of the United States, for Kay Ivey, our governor, the governor of, of Alabama and the legislature. For our judges and magistrates and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick and the sorrowing, especially those, Heavenly Father, who are sick with the COVID-19 coronavirus, those who sorrow for those who have died, those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for all those who are homebound and infirm, especially we pray, Heavenly Father, for all those who work in hospitals, for doctors, nurses, and all others who must work in our houses of healing, that you would keep them safe from this great plague upon us, that you would be with those who are infected, with those who are fearful, and that you would be with them all, that you would heal the sick, relieve the suffering, Give wisdom to those who must make decisions. And for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and the communion of the Holy, holy Christ, Holy Church. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Recalling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Have compassion, O Lord, and upon all who mourn, upon all who are lonely and desolate, be thou their comforter and friend. And give unto them such earthly solace as thou seekest to be best for them, and wipe away all their tears, so they might have a fuller knowledge of thy love. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We also pray a special prayer for our country and ourselves in this time of great sickness. 
Almighty and most merciful God, our Heavenly Father, we, we thine erring children, humbly confess that to, unto thee that we have justly deserved the chastening which for our sins thou hast sent upon us. But we entreat thee of thy boundless goodness to grant us true repentance, graciously to forgive our sins, to remove from us or lighten our merited punishment, and so to strengthen us by thy grace, that as obedient children we may be subject to thy will and bear our afflictions in patience. We ask this through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee his peace. Amen. 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 So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate wrote a title and put it upon the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. The chief priest of the Jews said unto Pilate, Do not write, King of the Jews, but this man says, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. And so they said unto one another, Let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing did they cast lots. So the soldiers did this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, Mary's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A bowl of vinegar stood there. And so they put a sponge full of vinegar on a hyssop and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his ghost. (laughs) 